0: What's up, guys? Uh, Welcome back to the Push the Tempo podcast. Um, I have no idea what episode number this is, but uh, both of our teams, the Celtics and the Clippers, played last night. Today is February 6th, and these games are usually, at least the last three or four matchups have been very good. Uh, This matchup had some key players out. for The Celtics, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown were out, and for the Clippers, Patrick Beverly and Paul George were out. But regardless of that, it was a great game. So we just wanted to hop on and give our thoughts about the game and if we have time we're going to talk about the these two teams and their season so far. So Ari, what did you think about this game. Honestly,
1: going into this game, I thought that my team the Celtics were going to lose. Uh, I thought missing Jalen Brown was going to be huge and especially Marcus Smart he's basically the anchor of that team defensively and he's probably their best playmaker as well so. I coming into the game, I thought they were gonna get blown out, but then news came out that Paul George was also out, so I thought that was gonna be pretty close. But Kemba hasn't been playing as good as you know some of his prior seasons, so I definitely thought it was gonna be a blowout. And I'm usually the last person to be pessimistic about my own team, but the Clippers are just that good of a team, so I, that's what I thought going into it. But I mean, that wasn't the case. The Celtics ended up winning by four, so. That was just my initial thoughts that they were going to lose. But, you know, they ended up having a pretty decent game and pulling through at the end.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, like I said earlier, even even with these two guys out, or these four guys out, and all four of them are key rotation players to their teams, the game was actually was pretty great. Um, like you said, Kemba so far has kind of been struggling uh, since he's come back from his injury. In the first half, that was the case. Uh, I didn't think he was the right dagger, even the first half, he was missing shots really not getting to the line but in that second half um i thought he really turned it on particularly in that fourth quarter Uh, i think he scored 10 points in the fourth quarter he hit the jumper that gave the celtics the lead with like i believe it was like 15 seconds or something like that left and all in all man um that third quarter by the celtics uh carson edwards ever since his instagram got hacked he's been really playing well um, and that third quarter, the Celtics just hit a bunch of threes. The Clippers continued to turn the ball over, and they really, that's when they took control of the game, and they—and the Clippers played well in that fourth, but it just wasn't enough of a comeback.
1: Yeah, honestly, though, I, I'm kind of disappointed, just because, the la- like you said, the last few matchups have been super close. Last year, they played twice, and the first game went into OT, and the second game went into double OT, if I remember correctly, and at the time, both the teams were pretty much hundred percent and it was just a back and forth and the games were so like interesting and it sucks. Cause they're both in different conferences, which means they're only going to play twice a year. And this is one of them right here, which kind of sucks. Cause you know, like we've been saying a lot of players have been out, so I can't wait for the next time that they match up, but you know, who knows this could be a, you know, a finals preview, but I mean, I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself, but you know, these two teams are just so close comparably like a lot of people say, the celtics are the clippers of the East, and vice versa paul george and Kawhi are very similar to jason tatum and jalen brown and you know just the similarities between these two teams are really close so i just thought that this matchup would be a lot more fun to watch but you know you can never get 100 percent full game but it is what it is
0: yeah one of the matchups that a lot of people uh, both of us as well, we're looking at was the Kawhi versus Jason Tatum matchup. And I think it's safe to say that Jason Tatum outplayed Kawhi in this game. Uh, Jason Tatum finished with, I believe, was it? It was 34 points. Uh, he hit five threes. One of the biggest reasons that the Celtics um, were able to mount that huge comeback in the third quarter and hit all those threes was because the Clippers played this, this drop coverage uh, versus teams. And not only did that leave Tatum open for a bunch of open shots that he hit, uh, but it also, uh, when the Clippers would bring help to help the the person getting screened so that the big man could continue to drop, it would leave guys like Carson Edwards open, who hit a few threes in that quarter, I believe, as well. Um, yeah, man, um, Jason Tatum is, I mean, you obviously watch him more, so you can definitely give a better analysis on him, but I think, he, dude, he looks, what is he like now, 6'10, Six ten, six six eight, six nine, something like that? I think, I think
1: uh, Brad Stevens says he was 6'10", in the last measurement that he got.
0: Yeah, that's, like, that's crazy, he's, like, two inches shy of seven feet, and he can move and dribble and shoot, like, that, it's, he's going to be a problem for years to come, and with Jalen Brown also making this leap this year, like, the Celtics is going to be a scary duo, like, that duo is going to be tough to deal with for a long time definitely
1: but another thing i just want to kind of add on is you know um about the clippers Kawhi is so much better of a playmaker than i initially thought like coming into the season i didn't think he was the best playmaker and you know obviously the clippers lack a little bit playmaking especially in their point guard position and i guess Kawhi has kind of asserted that role onto himself and i saw although he only had five assists i saw him making a lot of plays for his teammates they just weren't knocking down all the shots but he was driving in, kicking it out. He was looking for that pass early on, and it was just—it was just good to see from Kawhi Leonard.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I thought Kawhi kind of kind of struggled, particularly in that fourth quarter. But you're right; he has improved vastly as a playmaker. But one of the guys who I thought had a pretty big impact on this game was Grant Williams for the Celtics. Um, he hit some open shots, and that's—that's kind of been the the struggle with him is that if he's not hitting his open threes, but teams will leave him open because. Uh, they'll they'll count on him to – they'll rather him beat them than the other great players in the Celtics like Tatum and Kemba and Jalen Brown. And in this game, like, he was beating the Clippers. He hit three of his four threes. I thought he played pretty great defense on Kawhi. He's a pretty big – like, he's a pretty stout guy. So, like, when Kawhi would try posting him up to go to his fadeaway, he couldn't really back him down and move him out of his position. So I thought he uh, had a pretty big impact in this game. Um, Carson Edwards, like I said, he came in, hit three threes five of his eight shots I thought like he just I thought his his shots really were swinging the momentum um particularly in that third quarter when the Celtics went like on a 16 to four run they turned a seven point deficit at halftime for them into an 11 point lead um so that was an 18 point turnaround in just a matter of a quarter um yeah uh, those guys I thought had a pretty big impact and like I said earlier um, Kemba really did his thing uh, particularly in that fourth quarter and that second half he got going and that's one of the Clippers biggest problems is they struggle to contain these these guards that can slash to the rim and really put the defense in disarray when they attack the paint
1: Yeah, just going off what you said you know it's kind of crazy about Grant Williams was just kind of looking at stats right now I remember last year he started off shooting from the three he missed his first 20 or so three pointer attempts so just kind of because of that he ended up the year with 25% from three this year, he's shooting 48 and a half percent from three, which is kind of insane. Um, Regardless, it's not like a bunch of attempts. It's two attempts per game, but still 48% from three, from a guy like that, that a lot of people just, you know, kind of just disregard and let him shoot. It's kind of insane. Um, But with that being said, I'm not going to say he's like that, especially him and Carson Edwards. These are two guys that rarely see playing time Grant Williams sees it more than Carson Edwards but Carson Edwards got 30 minutes which he usually gets probably sometimes he doesn't even get games to play but he scored 16 and I'm gonna be honest he's not like that in my opinion I mean he's definitely a great player but he like I think it was more of the Celtics bench player just stepping up than it was um, how the Celtics play in general that's what I think this win is going to go towards but that being said, you know, it was definitely nice as a Celtics fan to see these guys stepping up, especially Carson Edwards. And then another guy, um, I just want to quickly mention is my boy, PP fast, fast PP as the Celtics NBC crew calls him, you know, Peyton Pritchard, he put on, you know, he just came back from injury. So I'm not going to say too much, but definitely a guy that I really like coming to that season, just kind of filling in that backup role as point guard.
0: Yeah. Um, Like you said, those two guys, Carson Edwards and Peyton Pritchard, played solid, and they had to kind of pick up the slack, particularly for the bench with Jeff Teague playing as bad as he did. I remember I texted you. He is garbage, (laughs) man. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I I texted you and I was like, dude, Jeff Teague sucks. Like, I shouldn't be seeing minutes. Um, So the Clippers kind of had a similar thing happen with them. Uh, Reggie Jackson, uh, since Patrick Beverly has been out, has been starting for the Clippers. And as of late, he's been playing really well. And... Uh, even I, I apologized to him. I was like, dude, this guy. Like, I didn't want him on the team for long, and I thought he should be should not at the very least not play. But in this game, he kind of proved me right. Uh, he was not playing well. Just a lot of the decision making was poor. Um, the defense was not existent as usual. Um, but the guys who stepped up in his uh, in his bad play were uh, Lou Williams and Lou Kennard. Uh, one of the things that I was a little disappointed by. Uh, particularly just like with the Clippers is that in that first half, I thought Luke Kennard was awesome. I think he scored 13 points at the start of the game. He had like back-to-back corner threes. So he really got started getting to go and got me really excited because Luke Kennard, uh, the biggest problem with him right now is the confidence. It, a lot of the times he's hesitant to shoot because he plays, he's on the court with other great players like Kawhi, like Paul George. But when he's, uh, when he's playing aggressive and looking for his shots. That's that just adds another facet to the Clippers' offense because he's a dead-eye shooter and because he can really he can put the ball on the floor and do some stuff with it. In um, that second half, they kind of went away from him, which kind of sucks. I thought I thought he could continue to have a big impact in the game, but in that fourth quarter, uh, Lou Williams was the Clippers' best player. He's a guy who I've um, I've said that we should trade because he's not good come playoff time and he's a bad defender, but. In that fourth quarter, he scored 14 points, hit four or five shots, and he looked like the old Lou Williams. Uh, he got to the rim against Tristan Thompson once, uh, and he hit a big three that kept the player that that gave the Clippers a little bit of a just like a slight, um, I, I should say, like a slight opening to win the game, which they ended up obviously losing. But Lou Williams was really good in that fourth. Um, but they just couldn't they just couldn't stop Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum, who just who just were pretty great in this game.
1: Yeah, no, Lou Williams was definitely playing out of his mind compared to how he's been playing for the regular season. But, you know, I feel like the Clippers are really missing Patrick Beverly. And that's a guy that can put Kemba in check. Obviously, he's not going to stop 100% of the time, but he's definitely going to, you know, be an irritant and kind of just get some plays going, some hustle plays to kind of stop Kemba and even probably Tatum, to be honest. Um, And, you know, One thing I'm surprised about the Clippers is how much minutes they're giving to Batum. He's honestly kind of turned his career around. He was basically so, like, irrelevant in the past few seasons. And now he's came to the Clippers. He's shooting the ball. He's playmaking. He's defending. And it's just a good sight to see for a guy like him. And, you know, he even gets more playing time than Marcus Morris. And Marcus Morris, when he was on the Celtics, was a beast. Like, he was literally... Probably at times a second or third option on offense on a team with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kyrie Irving. So I'm kind of surprised to see that he's not playing as you know as we expect of him. But I mean, he is coming off an injury earlier this season. But you know, I like to see the ball more in his hands because he's definitely a guy that can create his own shot and shoot the ball at a high rate.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, Nick Batum is a uh, he's a guy. when the Clippers signed him, I thought, okay, he's probably gonna play like. 10 to 15 minutes off the bench probably contribute like four points I knew he was a good passer maybe like three assists a rebound or two but he's been like a legitimate Clippers rotation player and up till now uh you can make a a legit argument that he's been the Clippers either third or fourth best player depending on where you put Patrick Beverly um but no yeah you're right Uh, Nick Batum, he's been hitting open shots which the Clippers generate a lot of open threes which is one of the reasons that they're shooting the best Three-point percentage of any team in the NBA currently, I believe it's at like 41 or 42 percent, which leads the league. Um, he hits a bunch of corner threes. Uh, he always makes the right play uh, in the game. The Clippers played versus the Magic. There was there was this one play where he caught the ball on a cut, and the uh, the defender that was guarding Paul George in the corner came towards him, and before even before even landing, he threw a skip pass to Paul George with a corner three. Those kind of like quick decisions, uh, they're my favorite type of plays, like the hockey assist, you could call it. And he's just, a, he just has a very high IQ and he's a very good, very high IQ basketball player. So he's been playing very well. Um, but yeah, man, uh, this game was just a really fun game all in all, uh, Tatum, like I said, was amazing. I thought i thought Kawhi kind of struggled, particularly at the end of that fourth quarter. Uh, he missed that jumper. I believe it was over Grant Williams, like I said earlier, who was defending him pretty well. And I believe he also missed the three-point jumper, which was wide open. As well as, did you remember the end of that game when Tatum turned the ball over and Nick Batum stole it, and then the the Clippers immediately turned it back over to the Celtics? I yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, right at
1: the end, yeah,
0: yeah. I got I got really excited when Nick Batum stole it and then immediately turned it over, which kind of sucked. But yeah, man. <laughs>
1: my heart stopped because Kemba had the ball and you know we all remember that Lakers game that the Celtics played a few days ago where Kemba had the ball at the end of the game and you know it was a, it was kind of a scramble but you know he had a good look and I was like no not again not again but you know Kemba's really I don't know I don't know what to say about him I have a kind of a love hate relationship with him it's like I want to trade him I don't want to trade him sometimes I, I don't know man it's just it's weird because as the Celtics, you know, like when they got him, I thought he would be a lot more consistent. I knew what I was going to get out of him. But there's days where he's, you know, Kemba Walker. And there's days where he's, you know, cardio Kemba, where he's just running around doing nothing. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, for sure. But I feel like you got to give him a little bit more time. Uh, did, he, did he play in the bubble? He did. He did, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, like, like, I feel like you got to, because remember, he was, he came back to the bubble. I'm pretty sure, like, he wasn't fully ready and that knee was still giving him problems even then. And I remember him really struggling in that Miami, that Miami series. And I don't know, I'm not sure if it was in the Toronto series as well. Yeah, no, he he was,
1: he was getting destroyed in the zone. And even honestly, Marcus Smart outplayed him in probably the entire playoffs. Uh, Definitely in that Miami series and the Toronto series. The Philly series was kind of, you know, like it was, I mean, it was, it wasn't like, it was a pretty easy series compared to the other ones, but Nonetheless, Smart outplayed Kemba, and Kemba's supposed to be that point guard, that guy that always scores. But he wasn't really, you know, doing it. But yeah, yeah, definitely agree that it's probably because of his knee. But I mean, I would expect something from Kemba, but you know, that's you know, that's something for another video.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. But I, I just feel like you gotta give him some more time. This game, he kind of broke, broke loose and had his best game of the season as so far, and hopefully he can build on this. Uh, I'm not sure what this uh, Celtics schedule looks like coming up, but. Um, yeah, it definitely, it's definitely uh, it's pointing at an upward trajectory as of right now, considering the game he just came off last night, particularly that second half, I thought he was great.
1: Honestly, I'm just kind of looking forward to March 2nd where there's a rematch. I hope Celts can go 2-for-0, but more importantly i hope that everyone on both teams are fully healthy because this is like like i said this is a series or you know a matchup that i love to see it's been an amazing two teams back and forth every single year you know clippers took one last year the celtics took one last year as well so so far celtics are
0: 1-0 so do you want to uh so based off the health bar do you want to do you want to talk about that real quick with um both the celtics and uh, the clippers yeah yeah what, what do you mean though so with um, with the Celtics, Jalen Brown, I believe it was like a sore ankle or a sore knee that kept him out. Um, I think he aggravated it in the game versus the Sacramento Kings. Uh, he's listed as day-to-day, so he'll be back sooner rather than later. And he's been having a great season, so he's definitely a big piece that they're missing. But Mar- the Marcus Smart injury, when it happened, I thought that was very serious. It was a non-contact injury, and, he, and it, it did not look good but thankfully what was it just like a strained calf right or something yeah like that. it was a calf strain yeah so he should how long will be out three to four weeks Oh uh, yeah
1: it's expected to be three to four weeks uh Marcus Martin's a pretty tough dude so honestly I don't think that'll push past that unless there's some type of you know unforeseen incident but you know he's a pretty tough dude he's he's been injured a lot but he always finds a way to come back to the court so that's just one thing to know
0: yeah the Celtics definitely need him and then with um With the Clippers, um, Patrick Beverly, the sore knee has kept him out this entire road trip that the Clippers just came back from, I believe it's been seven or eight games now. So this uh, this has been a problem for Beverly, I'd say, uh, just consistently over the past two or three years. um, The lower leg injury, the lower body injuries have really been nagging him to the point where the people, when they talk about that Denver series versus the Clippers versus Denver in the playoffs last year, uh, they always mentioned that the Clippers choked and Kawhi and PG played awful in that series. But what they fail to remember is that Patrick Beverly was on a minutes restriction. And I believe he could only play like 20 minutes because uh, just he just wasn't healthy enough because of that knee. Um, so I really hope Patrick Beverly can get fully healthy and come back. and Because he's a very, like you said, he's a vital piece of the team. The defensive intensity, not just that, but Kawhi even said that when he's not on the court, that the team is just a lot more quiet. They don't communicate as much because he's one of the guys who's just, uh, he's always just talking and yelling out defensive assignments and rotations and such. Um, but the other one, and this one definitely makes you sad because you have him on your fantasy team, uh, Paul George. Uh, he has the bone, at least edema or edema? I'm not sure how you say it. But uh, that, we don't know the severity of the injury yet, but I believe Robert Williams had, had something similar, right?
1: Um, as far as I know, I mean, I'm not no doctor or anything like that, but I, it was a hip injury. I don't know if it was because of that same bone issue, but I mean, I just know that Robert Williams had a hard time coming back to the court and it took some time for him, probably about a few months to finally get back to full shape.
0: Yeah. I think it was like a, a hip problem that he was out three to four months, something like that.
1: Right. Yeah, it was like every time he would be ready to go. He was supposed to come back. This is last year. He was supposed to come back before the All-Star game. Uh, Then he couldn't come back. And then it just kept getting delayed and delayed. And, you know, he started off with a few minutes. And it was just hard for him to stay on the court. But I'm not sure if it's the same issue or not. But if it is, that's definitely um, a big blow to the Clippers.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, it's, It's tough for Paul George, particularly this is a guy who's had multiple serious injuries throughout his career we obviously everybody remembers when he broke his leg in the team usa scrimmage Uh, but since then uh he had this double shoulder surgery uh he's had some hamstring problems and now this uh just right now we as fans don't really know the severity of the injury and how bad it is it could be something that keeps him out uh three to four weeks to even longer maybe months which would suck so uh, we just hope for the best that paul george that it's nothing too serious and he can bounce back and not miss too much time so he can continue to just build a rhythm with the team because that'd be because that's at the, at this point that's what's most important uh and obviously he was having his best season since his MVP mvp third place mvp finish season so yeah uh well wishes to paul george and just i hope he can get back sooner rather than later
1: yeah definitely man like i said this, these two teams have a ton of firepower on their team. Just right now, this season, health is definitely an issue. But um, yeah. with that being said, do you want to talk about predictions for them for the rest of the season?
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you want to start off with the Celtics? And you can probably give your piece because uh, you obviously watch them night in, and night out.
1: Um. So this game, like I said before, is definitely not a representation of the Celtics team. Like a lot of guys are out, but even with that being said, A lot of times these guys on the bench, they don't really step up. A lot of these guys have a love-hate relationship with. um, I mean, there's going to be days. That's the thing about the Celtics team. They're pretty inconsistent at times, aside from a few players. Like, you'll have a game where Tatum goes off, and then you'll have a game where Tatum shoots, you know, pretty bad. And then it's just kind of like a rotating thing. One day it'll be Kemba, one day it'll be Tatum, one day it'll be Brown. But, like, aside from that, these bench guys, they're not – really that big on scoring and that's why I really liked uh fast PP as they call him Peyton Pritchard because he'd come off the bench and get a lot of scoring done and one of the Celtics' biggest weakness this year is actually their depth. And that kind of sucks because you know a few years ago they were known for having a huge death and a huge core. But yep. without Hayward and you know all these guys, it's kind of um put them in a different situation than they were before. It's like if the starters don't perform the Celtics basically lose. And the bench typically doesn't perform. And it was just kind of a good sight to see for them. But, you know, in order for the Celtics to make a deep playoff run, they're going to need these guys to perform off the bench. And that's just my take.
0: Yeah, uh, I definitely echo that sentiment that they're not as deep as they used to be. I remember a few years back, uh, I believe it was uh, the 2019 season, right, that they came into the year as the favorites to win the Eastern Conference because their starting lineup had, like, Kyrie. It had Hayward coming back. It had Tatum, Jalen Brown. And then off the bench, they still had guys like Marcus Smart. They had Marcus Morris. And, I
1: can't even talk. Al Horford, too. And that I, team was so nice, man, on paper.
0: Right. That team, like you said, is just – that was the team that everybody picked to win the Eastern Conference. And people said that they could even give the Warriors a run for their money. And it just ended up working out for whatever reason. Uh there's just too many guys on the offensive end who – needed the ball in their hands to to create and they just didn't play as well off the ball, you could say. Um, So for whatever reason, that didn't work out. And now, like you said, that their team, that's a little bit thinner, Um, their guard rotation uh, with all the picks that Danny Ainge um, accumulated from that KG and Paul Pierce straight to Boston. uh, He's only hit on a few of them, you could say, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are obviously two of them, but like Romeo Langford, uh, he hasn't really seen the court much um Marcus Smart he hit on Grant Williams like you said is very hit or miss so it it remains to be seen how the Celtics can shore up some of their rotations um like you said one of the biggest problems for them last year was people thought like the center position was very weak and they kind of sort of got an answer that brought in Tristan Thompson who I think is pretty good uh he can rebound he can defend in space at times uh, but no you're definitely right the Celtics i i still think the Celtics are a very good team um, but like you said if the if the starters aren't performing then it kind of puts the kind of puts the team in a hole but thankfully for them they have three guys who on any given night can really put up some big numbers
1: yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. But um, another thing I just want to quickly say, as because you just kind of mentioned it, yo, their center rotation is not exactly the best. It's it's built very uniquely in the sense that you know they don't really have a traditional center other than Tristan Thompson, but he doesn't get the amount of playing time as some of the other guys. Like Daniel Tice is more of a power forward, but he's definitely like a rim protector, but he can definitely shoot as well. So definitely like kind of a unique guy. And then they've got Robert Williams, who I think is probably the most unique center on their team. Just because he's super athletic, he can shoot free throws, he can shoot the mid range, but he doesn't choose to shoot threes. But, like, with that being said, he's very, like, very quick on his feet. He can move left to right, up and down hella fast. But it's just something that, like, you know, the Celtics, they usually don't make moves at the trade deadline, but it's definitely a season and an opportunity this year, especially with the trade exception, that, you know, they might – or maybe they should make a push for a player off the bench, whether it be a center and kind of just – fix their center rotation or if it's going to be another score me personally I mean I'm not going to get too into it but like I would love to see a guy like JJ Redick come off the bench and shoot a little bit or you know honestly just anybody that's able to give that type of offensive flow to that team
0: is there is that the is there any other players that you think they should target with their trade exception because it's a pretty big trade exception isn't it like 27 million
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, there's tons of guys I'd love to see, but the ones that I feel like are attainable is probably J.D. Redick. There's been a lot of reports on Nikola Vucevic, but I'm not too sure how that would be. I feel like they're going to have, the Celtics are going to have problems guarding Joel Embiid, Giannis, and, you know, with like Nikola Jokic. Even now they're having trouble. So I feel like there's not really too much that they can do about that.
0: I think I think one of the biggest problems for them with this trade exception, and I shouldn't even say it's a problem because obviously it's great to have something like that, Is that uh when you have a trade exception, you still have to give up pieces to get other great players back. So say for example, they were looking to get uh Vucevic. Um, they're obviously not giving up uh Jason Tatum, they're not giving up Jalen Brown. Uh you wouldn't need to include Kemba Walker in that trade. Uh even uh who knows, maybe you trade Kemba for vuce Uh, that's an interesting wormhole we can get into if we want. But if you're using the trade exception, you don't need to trade Kemba. But if you're using it, then you would have to give some young, intriguing players or some draft picks back. Uh, The Boston Celtics draft picks don't look like they're going to be great for the foreseeable future, considering how great, how great. I I wouldn't mean great. I mean, they don't look like they're going to be lottery picks in the foreseeable future because Tatum is still very young and Jalen Brown is still very young. And they're both already very, very good. And they're going to be a perennial playoff team as long as they stay healthy together. Um, And none of the Celtics young players, you could say like Romeo Langford, Carson Edwards, Grant Williams maybe is an intriguing player, but none of them really have that that high value or that high upside ceiling that a lot of these teams look for when they look to trade like big name players. You know what I mean? No, oh, exactly. Like like you were saying before, Danny Ainge kind of has a problem
1: drafting outside the top five, top six picks in the, uh, the draft. Like you look at his first round pick this year. Uh, his first pick it was uh, Aaron Smith, and that's a dude that can't even find playing time when the team is injured and the lineups are very thin like last night he did not play um, and I don't think it was because of injury it was just because he's not NBA ready in my opinion he's very slight and he came into the league and he got drafted for his shooting and you know he hasn't been shooting the ball well he's only shooting about 31 percent so I mean, like you said, like we got to give these guys some time, but at the same time, like they are not really worth that much trade value as of now. So it's going to be tough for the Celtics. They're in a place where they they probably should make a move, but they probably can't, if that makes any sense, without giving up uh, like a key player on their team. It's probably going to be narrowed down to, and I hate to say this because I'm one of my favorite players, but it'll probably end up being Marcus Smart, um, which would suck, or another key
0: player. You what would uh one guy who I think that and this is definitely this is very unrealistic and it's not gonna happen, but Jeremy Grant. I would love to see him on the Celtics team uh play at that power forward position. Uh starting lineup would be Kemba, Jalen, Jason, uh Jeremy Grant, and then uh and then Tristan Thompson or uh Daniel Tice, whatever. Uh, but he would be very intriguing with this team. Uh defend and you you've seen it now that he can put the ball on the floor and create a little bit. And he can score efficiently. He can hit open shots. He's not a great rebounder, but if you have Tristan Thompson as your focal point on rebounding, I think you're okay. Uh, that and that's obviously very unrealistic. The Pistons just signed him to a three, three or four year deal, and it wouldn't make sense to trade him in the first year of that deal unless you're getting like a pretty good haul back, because he's been playing very well for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. It...
1: It's Going to be a pretty crazy, or either that, or it's going to be a very dead trade line for the Celtics. Either way, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I feel like we've been talking about the
0: Celtics for like a pretty while, pretty big while. You want to talk about the Clippers and their future? Sure. Um, so as of right now, I believe the Clippers are either the third, yeah, they're the third seed after losing last night to the uh Boston Celtics. Um, they so far this season, uh, one of my biggest. One of my biggest concerns coming in was that they wouldn't be able to make up for the loss of points that Montrose gave them. I think he gave them like 18 a night last night. Um, but so far, they haven't really shown that to be a problem. Uh, they've been one of the better offensive teams in the league this year uh, in terms of like offensive rating. And particularly shooting from three, they've been really good at three-point shooting. Uh, like I said, they have the best percentage in the league at like 41, 42%. So they've been doing their thing on that. On that on that side of the ball so um and Serge Ibaka has really been great for them uh, serge has been averaging like uh, i think he's averaging like 12 13 points but his shooting that gives the team ability to space out and you know that five out spacing it, it opens up the floor for paul george and Kawhi leonard to drive and kick driving kick is one of the biggest uh it's kind of the biggest um like what was the word it's kind of the biggest focal point of of uh Tyronn Lue's offense and Tyron Lu has really he's empowered Paul George and Kawhi to become the they they've become the what's it called they they've become like the ball handlers and the playmakers on this team that was one of the, one of uh, most most people's biggest uh biggest concerns with this team is they don't have a traditional point guard a tra- like a Kyle Lowry like a um a Jeff Teague <laughs> um, they don't have that kind of traditional point guard who can set up the offense but in Tyrone's offense, that really has not mattered because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are now the primary ball handlers.
1: Damn, you got me. I was about to say a great pickup for the, the Clippers would have been Kyle Lowry, but I mean, you kind of mentioned him. Did I feel like that team would be nice if they were able to add somebody like Lowry? Because, like, Clippers, they definitely have not an issue, but kind of like, a weak spot in their team, and that's in the point guard position. So I just figured, you know, Kyle Lowry would be nice.
0: See, I or... I agree that they wait. Go ahead. I was gonna say, actually, never mind. <laughs> go for it. What's up? See, I I agree that a weak point in their rotation is the guard rotation, but I have a different reason for why it's it's a weakness. Uh, like I said, that Paul George and Kawhi have been made the uh, primary ball handlers. On offense for the Clippers and the rest of the guys just spot up around them. But my, my main reason that I think the guard rotation is weak is like I mentioned earlier, Patrick Beverly has, he's had a history now of uh, lower body injuries that have kept him out at crucial times. Um, I believe in 2018, uh, 20, 2017, 2018, or 2018, 2019 season. I believe he missed almost the entire season after having like an ACL injury or something. So, uh, and this has been a problem for him. And now he's hurt and you see that the rest of the Clippers guards, uh, Reggie Jackson, Lou Kennard, Lou Williams, none of these guys are good defenders. So after, after Patrick Beverly, the Clippers defense from their guards falls off a cliff and the offense, most of the time really can't make up for it because Lou Williams is obviously, he can put the ball on the floor he can play make, he can hit, create shots, but come playoff time, uh, he's not a great playoff player because he's uh, he's a little bit smaller. He's slight, and these bigger these bigger defenders can really bottle him up and give him give him trouble in the playoffs. So, if it was if it was up to me and I was the general manager of the Clippers, I would try to get another guard who can play better defense, who can spot up and hit open threes. Yo, Since um, how
1: how is uh, T.J. McConnell?
0: How do you like your name? Uh, no, I'm 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 good on T.J. McConnell. What? I'm he's going. nice. He's a good. He's a decent defender. I'd rather. Ha- I'd rather have George Hill. George Hill is a better shooter. Mm, but he,
1: yeah, true, true. But he's hurt right now, so yeah, he'll be taking a risk if you go for him now.
0: Yeah, but it's so, I think. I think that's their biggest weakness is that, uh, come playoff time, they only have one good guard defensively, and the rest of the guards aren't aren't good enough defensively to really make up for that. So that that, in my opinion, is their biggest weakness as of right now.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point, yo. All right, yo, imagine if they got Marcus Smart.
0: Dude, I would, would, I, would do a, I would do a Marcus Smart for Patrick Beverly trade right now.
1: I would do that. You should. I would right not. I think, nah, hell no. <laughs> but, yo, you know, honestly, I feel like Smart would fit really well into that team. Maybe limit his um, amount of, you know, threes, but, like, definitely. Could you, could you be... imagine
0: him and Marcus Morris competing to see who can chuck the most shots?
1: <laughs> oh, Marcus Morris is <laughs> kind of nice with it, though, like – he he's honestly a great player, and I haven't seen that from him this year or even the last year. But on the Celtics, he was different. He was literally knocking down these hard shots. He was creating these shots basically from thin air, and it was it was great to see from him.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, Marcus Morris isn't. He's an intriguing player. Uh, he doesn't really have the quickness uh, to get really to get by people this year. He hasn't really been doing that. Uh, but he's a pretty great spot up shooter. Um, in that Brooklyn game, he hit a big shot at the end of the game to. Give the Clippers a chance, they obviously ended up losing. But last year in the playoffs, Marcus Morris shot forty seven percent from three on like pretty, pretty high attempts. So he's a guy that he's an integral piece to the Clippers and he's he's very intriguing if they decide to run like a small lineup and run with like uh Patrick Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi, Batum, and Morris, which they've done and that lineup has really run people out of the gym. So True, true, true.
1: All right, I got one more question for you. How far do you think that the Clippers are going to go this year?
0: Man, um, that's tough. I still, I still think the Lakers are the best team, in the not only the Western Conference, but I think the NBA, and I think they should be the favorites to win the championship. Not, not complete favorites, considering Brooklyn, their offense is just very, it's very hard to stop, and Philly's looking really different, and the Clippers obviously have given the Lakers problems particularly Paul George. He's played very well against them, but I think it all depends on matchups. I think the Clippers should make the Western Conference finals this year, at the very least. Uh, But if they run into a team like, say, the Jazz, who have always given the Clippers problems, Mike Conley has always played well versus them. Uh, Or even like the Suns, DeAndre Ayton, uh, we talked about a while back, was that DeAndre Ayton is, he's their X factor. If he plays well and he's aggressive, he has all the tools to be dominant. And he's a guy, and that team is a team that I think that can give the Clippers problems because they have some good defensive players on the wings like Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder. Those guys are good defenders and they can kind of give Kawhi and Paul George some, they can make them work for their shots. But I think at the very least, they should be in the Western Conference Finals this year. Like there's no excuses compared to last year. And if Lu continues to do his great coaching job, I think they should be there. Definitely.
1: Man, I just want to see the Clippers win a little bit, you feel me? Like, they've been yeah. kind of trash on as a franchise, and they've Dude. got the players and personnel to do this year, so hopefully we're going to see that this year.
0: Yeah, man, I would love nothing more than the Clippers to win the championship. That would, that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, and outside of that, man, I think people got to start respecting my guy, Paul George, a little bit more, man. He's he's different, man. He's, he's not what people think that he is in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, no, the, the narrative that Paul George is a playoff choker is very is very overblown. Um, last year, he in the bubble after the Mavericks series says he was dealing with mental health problems. And one of the main narratives that's completely wrong is that people think Paul George absolutely sucked the entire playoff run, when in actuality in the Denver series, he was better than Kawhi. Uh, Kawhi was a no-show in the second half game six and in game seven. Paul George no-showed game seven, just like everybody else. But I thought he was awesome in that series uh Jamal Murray tricks everyone Jamal Murray is not an all-star player he had one good game versus the Clippers and one of the main reasons for that was Paul George Paul George held him to like 33% shooting when he was guarding him and he he just locked up Jamal Murray almost that entire series Jamal Murray only had like one or two good games in that series
1: see that that's one of the things about um Paul George and just shooters in general it's like you, they have a bad a few bad games and all of a sudden people are kind of looking down on him just because of those few games like for example I'm not going to say he's an amazing player but like all right, I had to say but like Danny Green for example you know he had a few games where he was shooting really bad and you know he's known for his shooting but all of a sudden people want to say that you know he can't shoot he's a bad player and all that and I guess the same kind of applies with Paul George in the sense that you know those few games kind of defines how his playoff run is although like like we've been saying, he's a great player. I just think like that narrative is kind of, you know, I don't think that's where it's at.
0: It's it's weird to me, not only for that reason. Uh, it's also weird because like he came off, he's come off some of the biggest injuries. Uh, he broke his leg. Um, uh, like, and it was, that was one of the craziest injuries I remember seeing that and really just going back uh, and just like flinching at it because it was so Yeah, it was just, like, disgusting how bad it was. And he came back from that, and he came back even better. You know what I mean? Like, that's not something you normally hear, that a guy has an injury that bad and comes back better from it. Uh, So, and not only that, like, he came back and finished top three in MVP and top three in Defensive Player of the Year. Remember two years ago in February, like it wasn't crazy to think that Paul George could win the MVP. I mean, it was crazy by the end of the year because he got hurt again and the Thunder went into the playoffs hurt and they lost to the Blazers. But it wasn't crazy at a moment to think, hey, Paul George could win the MVP and he could possibly win defensive player of the year. Yeah,
1: and on top of that, um, you know, this year he's part of that 50-40-90 club. And this is arguably one of his best seasons. Beside that MVP year, you could argue this is the best season. I mean, he's averaging 24 and a half points on 50% from the field and 48% from three with 90% from free throws and on top of that he's assisting the ball the more than he's ever done and he's rebounding so it's just like you know I I just don't agree with people when they say that Paul George is a bad player and then especially in the playoffs like I don't really think that narrative has anything to do with it because if you remember when he was part of the Pacers team he was legitimately single-handedly competing with LeBron and uh, D-Wade and all those other guys and he like his team was not nowhere near where LeBron's team was at the time. And I just think that people forget about it. You know what I mean?
0: That Pacers team was pretty great defensively and Roy Hibbert had like a great series, but outside of that, it was really just Paul George going back and forth with LeBron and having, and really matching him for the most part, shot for shot. Sure. He kind of, he didn't show up in that game seven, but I mean, he was very young at that time. You know what I mean? Um One of the craziest things to me is that Damian Lillard is considered like a great playoff player.
1: (laughs) I knew you were going to go there. (laughs) And Paul George
0: is considered a choker, which, I mean, if you actually go look at the numbers, Damian Lillard falls off more than any star player in the NBA today in terms of shooting percentages come playoff time. Uh, Damian Lillard's reputation is made off that one series in uh, 2019 in the first round. And then he ended up playing the Denver Nuggets, who were a year early to the playoffs, uh, that got taken seven games by the Spurs, by the way. And that Spurs team had no business playing that well. So uh, they went seven with Denver and Damian Lillard. Don't, don't forget, he shot three of 17 in game seven and had to get bailed out by CJ McCollum. I, I believe it was like 39 or 41 points he scored in that game seven. And then uh, he, went into the, he went into the Western Conference Finals versus the Warriors who were out Kevin Durant. And remember, they had three games. They led by double digits at halftime and they ended up getting swept by Klay Thompson, Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Draymond Green turned back the clock and was amazing in that series. Steph showed that Damian Lillard isn't in the same stratosphere as him. So that that's that it, it's more so the way that these players are covered I should say. Uh Damian Lillard is given uh like the utmost respect for doing doing not doing as much for do okay, he's he's accomplished stuff, but he hasn't really done that much in the grand scheme, and Paul George, he has a similar level of accomplish of accomplishments, but he's shitted on like, like by everybody. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs>
1: I'm not gonna say nothing just because you know, I let you get all the hate for you know taking on Dame like that. You feel me? But um, yeah, no, I definitely kind of agree with that sentiment just because like, I mean, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but I if I remember correctly, like Dame has won like one. Like accomplishment or one accolade throughout his entire career from what I remember besides like an all-star appearance, but I can't remember which one it was
0: maybe it was oh are you year, talking like... about the bubble MVP <laughs> no,
1: bro my man really went there I <laughs> forget I forget, <laughs> I forget what it was but it was something along the lines of like you know he's had like one first
0: team all you
1: know NBA or something like that and then nothing other than that like no league leading scores nothing like that you know what I mean
0: are, are we are we continuing on the Dame train? Because I have one last thing to say. Uh, we See that one last thing and then we'll call it for today. All right, for sure. So if you remember uh, Damian Lillard at the start of the season or before, he said about Paul George and the Clippers that keep running from the grind, you guys are chumps. Uh, in the first game that he played versus the Clippers this season, the Blazers got blown out. Um, if it wasn't for CJ McCollum, who before he got hurt, man, I thought CJ was having an all-star season and he was awesome. I think he was averaging like 28 points. So hope CJ can come back soon. But in that game, if it wasn't for CJ, it would have been like a 40-point blowout. Damian Lillard shot 3 of 14 and 0 of 8 from 3. Um, and the next game, he says Steph Curry won't get the same looks that he got when he played with KD and Clay and Dre. And then Steph Curry drops 62 on his, on his team's head. Um, and then Adidas drops in. By the way, this shoe is ugly as shit. It's very ugly. They drop um, a colorway. Yeah, might do it. Now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I not I don't like Damian Lillard. So he drops a colorway commemorating his first round win versus the uh, the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, and commemorating his fifty point game to close out the series. And then the next day he proceeds to lose to that team. Uh, like you can't you can't write it better than what has happened so far. I just I just love to see it. I'm dead man. I mean, yeah.
1: I kind of get it. Like he's kind of going on a, you know, kind of a frenzy of, you know, just like showing people up and then not actually showing them up. Like that shoe. I'm not gonna lie. That sounds pretty bad.
0: <laughs> like, bro, he, he called out a reporter for tweeting about him. Uh, like, could you imagine if like Paul George or LeBron James did that? Could you, could you imagine they'd be get, they get torn to fucking shreds and people would be like, why are you listening to the media? Why are you entertaining like people talking about you online. You know what I mean? Like if you're gonna if you're gonna put a guy in conversations that one in the first place he shouldn't be in. Like he's not in James Harden or Steph Curry's stratosphere. Then hold them to the same standards instead of holding them to the standards of like fucking Wayne Ellington. Like
1: <laughs> I makes it was me really sick.
0: Like Rodney Magruder. <laughs> it's crazy yeah. to me, bro. They violated him man.
1: But yeah no I definitely get that. All right, yo, you want to call out for today?
0: Yeah, I I think I think I'm done talking talking shit about damien Lillard for the day. (laughs) You
1: gotta be dead, bro. All right, guys, uh, appreciate you guys listening to our podcast. You guys can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you guys listen to your podcast. At Push the Tempo Podcast, with A Ray and Kyle. I'm A Ray, and the other guy that's hating on Damian Lillard is Kyle. Um, we're also on youtube uh we put some pretty decent gameplay so you guys if it's easier to listen on youtube you guys can check us out there at the east coast browncast we're on instagram and twitter at ecbcast so you know leave some comments there something like that you know if you guys want to have a hot take or anything like that featured on our podcast leave a comment or tweet at us and we'll definitely put that in and with that guys pretty much it catch you on the next episode peace